Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name's Jack, and welcome to the Jack Holland Bartlett podcast. It feels very overdue for me to say those words, but I'm very excited that I finally am. I've been dancing around the idea of having my own podcast for a few years now, and it's February 2022, and now feels like the right time. As I'd imagine many of you are, I am a big consumer of podcasts. It's part of my daily routine to listen to hours of unedited conversations with people and I gain a lot from these. I find immense value in conversations that are beneath the surface level. You're listening to the sound of Roy Hargrove with his track Strasbourg St. Dennis from that album Ear Food. So I hope your ears are chewing on this and enjoying the taste of it as much as mine are. My first guest on the podcast is none other than Mr. Sam Kopak. Sam is a dear friend of mine. I've known him for probably eight or nine years. He is the host of his own podcast, which is known as the Parkour Coach Companion Podcast. I was actually his first guest on the podcast when he launched that a couple years back. So it seems right and fitting to have him as my first guest. Beyond having his own podcast, Sam is also a parkour coach. He is a parkour athlete and has been training for upwards of 14, 15 years. I'm not actually certain of the time he's been training, but quite a few years more than me. He also likes to dabble in film reviews, he's quite into films and we do touch on that a little bit in this episode. But we cover a rather vast range of topics in this conversation, from parkour training and maturity, to maturity and developing as a coach, to films, to spirituality, to recent goings on within the parkour community. And we dived in and out of different depths, different levels of conversation throughout. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. This is Mr. Sam Kopak. Let me just finish this mouthful. <laughs> okay. You can you can eat. I'm 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 cool with that. It's like, you know. I'll go. Yeah, that's fine. Um Yeah, so I was I was gonna try and uh, do this for like half nine, but yeah, I didn't sleep too well. Just for yeah. I'm watching, I um, crushed my fingernail with a fence panel, which Sam knows. It's kind of looking like this at the minute. It's not very nice with blood, I suppose, like publicly. But um, yeah, it's not as in it's not it's not awful. It's just sort of that got put on yesterday afternoon, um, and yeah, there seems to be only like one sleeping position that's comfortable. Like I'm like on my side with it kind of sticking up. Any other position is just kind of painful, and it seems to. I think the blood pressure kind of makes it not good. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to recently. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, like injured my, my finger the other day. It was quite painful. G- genuinely the most painful thing I've ever I've ever had, to be honest. Um, mm. yeah, just the nerves at the end. Like, I'm shocked at how painful it was. Mm. But, yeah, um, we're here. I thought, what better time to record a podcast and get this going 
um, some days off work because I can't exactly work because of this as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for um, for doing this. I know it's um, just a random Monday. Um, and you were like, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, it's, yeah, it's good to do this. Sooner the better. Sooner the better. Yeah. Yeah. So, I wanted to ask you first. Because I actually don't know, even though I speak to you so much, and um, yeah, I don't really, I don't think I've got to. I think I've maybe asked a couple of times, but never got to the bottom of it. What is your genuine, like, general week like, like your routine? Um, how much? Because yesterday I asked you like, what are you doing? You like, oh, I've got a full day of coaching today and tomorrow, and I'm like, and the other days you're like, oh, I'm not coaching today, or I've got two hours. Like, how much coaching do you do per week? How much training do you get done in a week? In a week, sorry. Yeah. How much? Um, you know. Hours do you spend on your podcast? Things like this. What does a typical week look like mm. for you? Yeah, so I'd say I have a an atypical working structure to most people. Um, I work at Agility, which is like a ninja warrior facility in York, and I am lucky enough to teach parkour classes there. So my week generally uh, consists of teaching to or three classes in the evenings, Monday to Friday. Um, And then at weekends, I don't do any parkour teaching, actually. I just do work on the course, on the ninja course. So I'm either party coordinator, um, PC Copac, and have to manage like eight parties in a day, which is absolute bedlam. Um, Or I'm on the course kind of facilitating the public coming on the course, trying to get them across the rope swing, that sort of thing. So in the week, so for example, today, uh, I've got two classes. Um, I've got a normal parkour class, age seven to 11, and then I've got a flips and tricks session, which I've started, I started last week, we started doing flips and tricks sessions. And for me, that's kind of uh, a bit out of my comfort zone, but also something I feel like might help me as well. Um, Looking into researching how to flip, how to teach flips, how to teach flips to beginners and hopefully uh, see some progression there. So that'll be good for me as well. Cause I've got a lot to learn with flips. Um, Tuesdays actually have off from agility and I use that day to, um, to be honest, kind of recover um, and just have a, like, I call it like a fuck it day. Like I can do kind of whatever I want. Um, but I also usually um, do a private session in town with uh my client David, who uh, I've been teaching for about three or four years now, he's 40 now, and we've been on the streets every Tuesday for an hour for years, um, pretty much through thick or thin. It's been, there's been some horrendous days we've gone out um, through the winter, but his kind of motivation to do it has kind of thought, has kind of pushed me to be like, well, if he's, if he's wanting to go out in this, then I better show up as well so um hang on, i've just realized this is annoying me there we go <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> um so yeah so i i teach about um up to 10 classes a week um most of those i'm i do it by myself a couple of them i'm fortunate enough to have uh, my friend robert assist me which is a big help and weekends generally one or two days uh, working on the course for a long, like a long shift. Um, How long is that shift? Uh, so, for example, on Saturday I did 
uh, nine hours, I think, and then okay. yeah. Sunday I did seven. Yeah, and pretty, pretty um, long days then. Yeah, 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 pretty pretty full on. Lots and lots and lots of families and kids mm. and birthday parties trying to manage them. Uh, mm. So it's it's been challenging, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm uh, I'd say compared to most people. I work part-time hours. And in terms of the podcast, lastly, um, yeah, podcasts usually take me about eight hours start to finish in terms of getting them recorded, getting them edited, doing all the social media, getting them up there. I do it all myself. Um, so it does take a while. I'm kind of hoping maybe I can get someone to help me soon really i feel like it'd be great to have a hand in all this because it just takes up so much time i also have flynn disney's exploration group which i'm doing again at the moment um that's like an hour or two a week um and apart from that just trying to keep myself alive and keep the house tidy really uh and socializing so yeah hopefully that covers most of the the working aspect at least of my week yeah it does it's interesting that you didn't mention your training though like how 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 much are you getting time to train for yourself in the week? Is it one day a week? Is it a few days a week? And how long are the sessions when you do train? Yeah, yeah. So over this winter, I have not trained outside much at all. Uh, I've been to a number of gyms, which has been awesome. I've taken some of my students to Team Reality in Grimsby and Nova City. I saw you there, had some great sessions. Um, my motivation to go out into York with very few people to train with over winter uh, has been quite low this winter, especially. So I haven't been training much at all. I train in the classes or a bit before, a bit after. With my older ones who kind of have more of an open session uh, where we're a bit, I, I trust them more to kind of find their own challenges um i do join in so i feel yeah. like i'm involved in training most days i'm going through warm-ups every day i'm doing stretches every day like so it's yeah um it it's rare at the moment that i actually go out and train for myself um but in the summer when things are a lot drier it just picks up yeah. i can train maybe once or twice a week um and I, yeah, I, I try and make the most of my time, my free time that I have, mm. aside from coaching. Yeah, yeah, it's similar for me um, in terms of like training and joining in whilst I'm coaching because, um, yeah, like every week I'm coaching on a Monday and that's just the, just the adults class in Coventry. So I always join in, mm. like I'm literally, to me that is like, you know, the class is an hour and a half and I'm usually training for a solid 45 minutes of that um, generally I'll either join in with Chris's sort of station and what he's doing or I'll just join in with my own um, and then yeah same on a Friday so I'm often coaching in Leicester on a Friday <clears throat> and for the older class yeah I'm, I'm joining in quite a lot um, and I think yeah with like as in my training kind of like at the weekend sort of peaks and then it really dips off so like Friday I'll kind of train um, yeah, like I said, in the class a little bit, and that kind of that's like a little taste. And then I'll train at the weekend on a Saturday, sometimes on a Sunday as well, and then a Monday in the evening, just again a little little forty five minute session, 
and then I have mm-hmm. kind of a solid week to, to rest. Um, and again, it's different in the winter and the summer. Um, but mm. but yeah, like it's nice to, to have those little mini sessions almost in classes, I think. It's, I, they can yeah, sometimes yeah. be quite intense for me. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really getting into it and just really train. Like I'm like, oh, I'm really training here. Like, you know, because especially yeah, yeah, yeah. the adults are getting so good, like training mm. you know, at the same level as them um, is, is really nice. Um, but yeah, like it, it definitely picks up in the summer. I want to be training more solo, I think, sessions um, in the summer, like on my days off during the week a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so I, you know, I always say it's, it's kind of a benefit for me of being in Coventry, like centrally located and having a car. I can just travel around a little bit more and that, that you know, like, because in Coventry, you know, there are people training um, almost every weekend, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, being located you know, an hour away from almost anywhere means that I can, yeah, kind of just yeah, yeah. dart off to a different city randomly and just get a good session in somewhere, which I'm planning to do a lot more. Injuries aside, weather aside, <laughs> um, hopefully those Over things will be, will be good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, speaking of training, I'm also talking about training generally. Like, um, how do you think your training, like, I feel like we go in and out of different phases of training. Mm. Um you know, like I look back at different kind of years and different summers and different winters and I can see some patterns and some kind of distinct phases of my training. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to observe this in other people as well because we see so much content, you know, from people these days. We don't just see a yearly edit. We see regular vlogs and we see every, like, you know, weekly Instagram posts and stories and we see so much of what people get up to. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I see someone like Dom, Dom Tomato, who in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, even a lot of twenty twenty one, seemed unstoppable. You know, it just he was just in this, this phase, this this long, never ending seeming phase of just pushing the absolute limits. And it seems like Ed Scott is just on an unstoppable, um, you know, charge forwards in in progress. Mm. And I think sometimes, mm. I mean. You know, just first of all, Dom, it does seem like, you know, he's, he's you know, incurred some injuries and he's kind of taking a little bit of a slower sort of approach at the minute. Um, but, you know, mm. generally compare, like, you know, we always compare, and we, we, you know, it's a typical thing to talk about comparison and how that's not good for you. But it's, 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 you know, unavoidable to compare with how we how we're training and how we kind of, you know, I feel like at times I'm, I'm slower, I'm progressing slower. I'm in a, you know, more, um, limited phase of my training than other people. And I see people like Ed Scott, I see people like Verky, I see people like George McGowan just plowing forwards and not being injured seemingly at all. Um, mm. and, and not really. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to ask you just about generally, like how, mm. how do you think your training has just evolved over the past five years, 10 years, over the past few months, maybe just, you know, just, just, just some of your thoughts on, on that really, uh, generally. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I'm 28 now, uh, I'll be 29 in November and there have been a number of different thoughts and feelings over the last few years about getting older for me. Uh, an obvious one being that time is running out and that pressure of getting things done uh, as soon as I can before I can't do it anymore. Um, I have felt that 
but also on the other side i've found it really interesting how if we talk about i can't remember who mentioned this first but this kind of the mental game circle and the physical game circle and how they we in 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 many ways we want to try and balance out these circles that are the same they kind of overlap in the same way and what's been really interesting for me over the last two years particularly is that my mental game in parkour has at points been the best it's ever been actually uh far better than when i was 18 10 years ago 19 mm. and <clears throat> i think it comes with this general sense of being involved in this thing for so long that my i guess my awareness my intuition is 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 better but also that i've consciously tried to look for things that scare me consciously tried to uh not just have comfortable training sessions essentially I love comfortable training sessions. I can do flow all day. That, that's great. But also trying to commit to things earlier, trying to push myself uh, with things at height, more dangerous stuff, things on roofs. And it just, it, it, it builds. I think that being in coaching most days has a really, well, has the potential to have a really good mental effect on training because you're just, you're with the obstacles regularly. You're, you're, you're moving regularly, even if it's just a small stick here and there or a flow or, but you're just in the world of parkour. And mm. I think that sometimes, um, I see people who are a bit rusty and it's because they've, they've taken themselves out of the world of parkour for however long weeks, months, mm. whatever. Rusty in a, um, in a mental, in a mental yes, sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So perhaps like physically, I don't know uh, how much regular, ex regular small exposure is helping me. It might not be really. I might not be actually getting any better at sticking stuff or doing certain things. But mentally, um, I feel like uh, over the last two years, it's been really emboldening to, um, for example, do well in skill competitions. And that's that for me, this a skill competition represents like, where am I at? Where, where, where this, this is the floor is yours, you know, like show me what you can do. This is the arena of, of parkour for you right now. And, um, so for me, I've, I found a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of confidence boosting in, in finding myself do, do well at the competitions. Um, I would say that a creeping feeling that's come in over the last few years has been that I can, <laughs> I can kind of chuck stuff, not, not flips, but like I can kind of do a few heavier things because I know I'm only going to do it once or twice. I think that like 10 years ago, eight years ago, maybe it's perfectionism. Maybe it's for the camera maybe it's lack of experience, but just doing so much, like so much hours and hours and hours all day of training and just smashing the reps, like bounce offs, attempts, bounce offs, attempts, so many. And now I feel like it's almost more uh, uh, 
what's the word sustainable <laughs> to take like maybe a couple of big drops here and there but just do them once and then know I can do it commit to it and uh, enjoy it and not have all these attempts that I used to do so often I really try not to do that because it just it just paggers your body uh, so I feel like now I'm, I'm not I'm not in the sense that I'll just send stuff but I feel like I'll phrase it this way I've got one in me Mm. That arm jump is big, but I've got one in me, so I can do it. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And that really, yeah. that really helps. That really, really helps like that, that mentality. Phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it can really help that phrase because it mm. it sort of it's like a self affirming thing. Like I am strong enough to do this, and also I don't have to do it more than once. Mm. I can just if I can just it's like trying something for the first time, trying something new for the first time. Mm. Well, go on. You can just just once go on. You can do one. You can do one, mm. can't you? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think that's a yeah a subconscious. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like a subconscious thing for me that maybe yeah I, I I can now you've mentioned now you've said that I can observe in myself as well. I've like. Yeah, I'm someone who likes to drill it until I've stuck it perfectly, and t- you know generally want to film what I've what I've done and that might take a few attempts um but you know the the approach and the preparation and the, the fear involved in trying something when there's only going to be one like a skill competition you're just doing it once and hoping that it's going to be the one you're done with yeah. um and the same with like a big arm jump or a big big drop pre or whatever if mm. you're just doing one and you're going to be happy with an okay decent you know attempt then that does take a lot of pressure off that kind of the preparation i think someone who comes to mind uh when we're talking about that kind of it like what i think what i'm getting a sense of is like you've just built up a sense of instinct and you've you have like a, a level of trust in your um just sort of baseline ability um to just chuck things a bit more um, and it sounds like you're yeah training more to one bang uh, things as much as as much as possible and spending less time prepping. And someone who comes to mind is yeah just 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 looking at the way that like shades lap um, trains. You know, I just I don't get the impression that he just stands there like okay okay like wiping his shoes. I just that that's not that's not something that I associate him with at all and. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he does. Maybe in the videos it just looks like it's more spontaneous. But there just seems to be a level of trust in in his abilities, um, and the same with someone like uh, Danny Nelabaka, um, I suppose. Um, and yeah, there's it's it's almost like there's a there's a ruggedness. There's a there's a like a, like not not as though their movement isn't refined and skilled, but there's a. It's almost like the more. A bit like gymnastics, you know how like gymnastics, it's all about preparation, drill, this, 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 the steps, the progression. And I feel like parkour can become a bit technical like that when we're wiping shoes, drilling, doing all the preps, doing this, doing that, building up slowly. Whereas I get the sense from someone like Danny or Shade, it's a lot more instinctual, it's a lot more uh, animalistic in their approach. It's like, oh, just like, look, sense it out, go, if it seems okay, you know. There seems to be more of a, yeah, like a natural approach that I, I really like. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, it sounds like your training is, in terms of enjoyment, 
of training. I know there's been phases where you know that's dipped off for you a little bit. It sounds like mm. the past two years have been have been quite good for you, and it seems like coaching has um, has helped has helped you with that, um, which is I find quite interesting because um, yeah, I I I, I, I struggle to because a lot of people say like you know how how much coaching helps them in their own training, and I get that, but I, I've struggled to explain why that is. I think a lot of the time, but I think mm. yeah, just a big part of it is just being surrounded by it and moving constantly and when you're demonstrating in front of eight kids you don't want to like be a bit mm-hmm. hesitant or anything you know it's like oh I yeah. can do it yeah. you kind of just trust your abilities in that situation don't you you mm. just trust your instincts like if, if I'm getting mm. a challenge like you know getting a, some teenagers to try this challenge I should be able to just do it first time without any preps right mm. Um, mm. so maybe that's a bit egotistical but but yeah um, anyway with your coaching with regards to that how uh, yeah. how do you think that that like in terms of enjoyment, in terms of progression mm. within coaching, in terms of becoming a better coach and developing, where where are you at with that? Um, are you mm. are you thoroughly enjoying coaching uh, parkour still? Is it is it is it is it just as enjoyable? Or do you feel like you're getting better on a regular basis? So. It's funny because I was I was talking with my housemate and he was saying that if you if you enjoy something, for God's sake, don't make it your work because then <laughs> then you'll lose enjoyment for it because you're having to do it all the time. Um, I have felt moments of that. There's been moments where, for whatever reason, I'm not being in a good place or something has gone wrong or whatever. And I've gone to work. I'm just like, I don't want to do parkour today. I don't like. I, I don't. I don't want to do this. Like I, I don't. I don't want to play another game of tag or another. You know, it's it's. You have to pull it out of somewhere. You have to be enthusiastic. You have to showcase that love for parkour that that is there in you even if sometimes you have to kind of fake it a little bit you're not quite feeling it coaching most days is tiring um and there has been points where i've thought like damn like have i gone too far have i is what else am i apart from parkour um there's a really good post actually from uh there's a good article written by uh, an account called parkour clinic talking about identity and parkour and how a lot of people sort of think feel quite lost without it and that does scare me as well i sort of think if i lost my job tomorrow um yes of course i'd look for more parkour jobs but otherwise i'd be in the shit a little bit i'd be you know applying to greg's Mm. or restaurants and things so it's it's (laughs) It's scary um... to think like that it's like it's like a, a therapist. If you know, if you were in a relationship that was codependent, they might say that's not a healthy thing for you. You should have your own yeah. identity separate yeah. from that as well. And I think yeah, mm. like a lot of people, not only just in work, like in terms of if you you know if parkour were to just disappear, you wouldn't have a a job. But a lot of mm. people they wouldn't have a purpose as well, right? Mm. Like it's just that yeah. codependency. But yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 wary of that. But then sometimes I have such a good session and a kid will say, you know, they want to 
travel they want to start traveling and parkour and and that just brings it all out again it just reminds me of, of me um mm -hmm. that some of the age that i started 14 15 and just thinking that right well i'm in the opportunity i'm i am i am their opportunity to help them go further yeah. i take responsibility for that um which was really again it's just fantastic to have that feeling and to have that agency actually to think like i can help these people find the joy that i found in parkour like they can find that that jewel um in terms of my coaching itself uh in york i've been pretty isolated with who i can talk to about coaching who i coach with uh, it's only recently that i've really been able to have an assistant coach robert uh, who's been really helpful. It's amazing the difference just having another pair of hands um, mm. can have on on the session and the quality of the session, actually. So I, I would say that, honestly, uh, in the last few years, I have been coaching a hell of a lot, but I would say that um, there's a lot I could have learned in that time with coaching. I think if I'd, if I'd have been in a in a parkour gym or with lots of other coaches and we're regularly talking about techniques, um, styles, how to articulate yourself. Uh, so yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, my progression my, my again, because I'm usually by myself, my, my lesson plans are often quite experimental. I find it really hard to do the same session twice. Mm. Uh, or, or like similar session twice. I always want to try and I'm desperate for them not to be bored. I'm desperate for them not mm. to be like, oh, we've already done this. Why are we doing it again? Um, I'm perhaps a little bit too wary of that, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm every week I'm trying to th put, getting down pen and paper thinking like, what can we do? What can we do? Um, but I would say that, um, with things like Flynn's exploration group, getting me thinking about the experience of parkour, how to teach it. Um, I've nearly finished a recent podcast um, with Brett Wilkie, who's like a lecturer at York St. John's and over only a few conversations with him, who he's come to agility. He's really helped me think a bit more about uh, coaching styles, things like physical literacy and environmental dynamics of a session. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, I have a lot to learn more, but I think that um, it's kind of good that I'm still constantly searching for a way to be better. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like settled in like, this is how I do coaching. I'm constantly feeling like I could improve. And I think that just, especially with my podcast as well, I think that's, Helps a lot. Yeah, so, that's, that's what I was going to say. I mean, um, it seems like, yeah, your your isolation uh, in York, like you said, um, has yeah made you feel a little bit... You don't have much influence. You don't have much inspiration, I suppose. Um, and it, it, yeah, I mean, the, the name of your podcast is Parkour Coach Companion. So like literally in the name, it's that, that's, a, that's a, a call out to to gain some insight and get some conversations you know, going about about coaching styles and, and variety and um, just ideas that other coaches have, um, and I think that's I think that's really nice. 
um, I think that's, that's, that's really good. Um, yeah, w- w- that guy was a university uh, a lecturer. So, w- w- uh, what what mm. exactly? Yeah, what what um, what does he what does he lecture? What what uh, what's he doing with that? So he's uh, one of the senior lecturers lecturers at York St John's, which is one of the unis in York, mm. and he teaches uh, like sports science um, type degrees. Um, I forget the exact name of them. Um, he's also been heavily involved in just physical education in schools, uh, in different high performance clubs, like rugby clubs, football clubs for like a long time. And actually, so Hector, who um, was working at Agility, uh, Brett was his his uh, master's tutor. Right. And Brett Brett sometimes brought his kid to agility. Okay. So then over the last couple of months, I've ended up talking with Brett through Hector. And um, yeah, he's just been very helpful in getting a lot of the the more technical stuff over to me about coaching, different terms, different ideas, because I'm generally teaching kids and so I've condensed my articulation into what I think works for kids. Right. And that's often quite simple. It's quite direct. Mm. Um, but what Brett's opened up with me, which I feel like I need, is that higher level of understanding, which then I can apply to older people, mm. to adults. Um, mm. and just having a grasp of like the research, the literature about what works uh, in coaching mm. rather than just kind of like, well, this session was good, so it's good, right? Mm. Sort of thing. Um, yeah. So he's been really helpful with that. And yeah, I'm, I'm, that podcast is coming out soon, which is, uh, he goes into a bit of depth about um, different concepts in, in learning. And he's, he's outside of parkour, so it's been great for him to, to, have, a, to have an interest in mm. and also to, uh, to see crossover with, uh, with different ideas. So mm. it's yeah. been, he, he's, uh, he's been an interesting recent acquaintance we could say mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's really like genuine expertise um in the, in mm-hmm. the field of, of teaching and coaching we, we don't really have a, a lot of sports coaches uh, as much as you know a lot of them are experts of what they do and have very developed their craft a lot of it is right there's kids to manage let's you know get you together let's do this we're going to do this and it can be quite simple right it can be quite vague uh, and vague to understand what's good and what's bad, like you said. Um, but yeah, it's good to it's good to have that. That sounds. That, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to that. Actually, it sounds uh, really interesting. Um, yeah, just to go back to what you said a minute ago about like the kind of inspir like um, not inspiration. I suppose like reminding yourself of what your intentions were with being a coach and why it's a good thing for you and for your students. I think yeah, I, when I was coaching more hours. And kind of, you know, my plan when I was younger was really to be a coach. Like I said, that seemed like the only feasible way for me to like make a career out of parkour in any way. Um, and it still may, it still, you know, may be the, the only feasible way in, in which to do that for a lot of people. Um, but I realised that I much prefer coaching on a less regular basis. I look forward to every single class that I teach, which is essentially 
about three classes a week um split split up um, i wouldn't mind a little bit more that would be that would be nice um which we you know, I, I should be doing more of soon um but yeah i remember feeling that disconnect from my kind of um in, uh, original intentions with what i'm trying to achieve here what my mission is it's kind of like the mission statement almost that's how, kind of how i think about it like what am i doing with this mm. what's this all about and when you yeah. like when you're kind of you know hypothesizing like and planning like your career in terms of as a coach and you're like okay in the future i'm going to be doing this and i'm going to give these kids this opportunity um you know the opportunity that i had and i'm gonna they're gonna probably really enjoy parkour and they're gonna get a lot from it and i'm gonna facilitate mm-hmm. that and that you know mm-hmm. you could get a, a sense of pride in even just like thinking about the idea of that um but it's so hard to bring that feeling up and that pride and excitement to do that up when you've had a bad night's sleep and you're just generally mm. not feeling up for teaching war runs and, and you know, <laughs> sp- and, and step vaults today, you know, or anything, yeah. or, or, or warm-ups and games and stuff, <clears throat> like you said. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I think this is where I think a, a gratitude practice has helped me with this and meditation in general, which I'm sure you can relate to a little bit as well. Oh, I just let that mm. finger. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like, yeah, for me, I find that just reminding myself of these core intentions and of this kind of mission statement as a, as a, like through a kind of gratitude practice is really helpful for me. Um, and, and that, you know, that really applies to a lot of things like mission statement in, in anything really like in, you know, having, having a house and like keeping it clean and making sure like that, you know, what it represents to me, like can be easy mm, to not mm. be grateful for just having a roof over your head and of course all these simple things mm. but it can be easy you can take it for granted that you know you have this job and this career and this lifestyle that you dreamed of and that literally gives you like the opportunity to give opportunities to all these kids um and yeah it's easy to take it for granted um yeah but yeah i think mm-hmm. what you're doing is what you're doing is great and uh you know you've you've already given hundreds of kids great opportunities and, and adults as well you know for, for growth and for, for learning and that's something we need to remind ourselves of as coaches as as people mm. who you know are, are teachers essentially all, all teachers are, fall into this category where you know um, facilitating a environment for opportunity really and for growth mm. um, but yeah um, the hard can I just say one thing on that yeah yeah the, just quickly the, the hard that that's exactly it the hard thing is that when you coach, you you can't ever see truly what will happen next with 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 children and what you've done for them. Mm. You can't. Mm. You just got to have faith that it's good. Uh, it's like that saying: um, uh, a society only becomes truly great when old men plant seeds that grow into trees whose shade they'll never sit under, something like that. Yeah, that some, something, yeah <laughs> that, that, that's actually on the wall in my gym. Um, interestingly, oh, wow, really? Yeah. Uh, along with like pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger and all sorts, <laughs> there is also that quote some, for some reason. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I think it's a great quote, yeah. I think it's a lot of... Uh, is it, have, yeah, having kind of faith, really. You don't. You'll never know, but you, there's some indicators. Obviously, you know, if someone's 
becoming more autonomous. I think that's a great indicator that you've you've done a good job. Um, but you'll never know, and that's just where you have to have some sort of faith in in that. Yeah. So I've never thought of it as faith, but that yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. It, it is it is faith. You know. Um, yeah, we we often like uh, you know rational parts of our brain tell us that you know that faith is kind of silly like because you're believing in something in the future but like i really do believe in the like in the um how would i say it um potential in the potential of my students and if i if i lose that belief if i lose that faith then it's a lot harder to coach with any level of seriousness with any level of passion really mm-hmm. you know if mm-hmm. i if if all of a sudden that that um kind of prospective um you know thing with which students goes away like the idea that they're going to do well and they're going to grow and they're going to improve and develop if if i get rid of that notion then it's a lot harder to coach with any sort of enthusiasm i think so in in many ways we do act out faith in that that there is faith involved in that right mm. Yeah, it's more than it's more than hope, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Cuz it's, it's yeah. If you have cuz faith kind of uh mm, faith it, it it kind of pushes you to continue doing the right thing. If that makes sense. Like I have like having faith in what I say to be good and how I teach and how the children will develop. It's more than just hoping, you see what I mean? Yeah, it's, hope, it's strong hope implies kind of an aimlessness, whereas faith has a direction yeah. to it, I think. Yeah. Weirdly. Mm, I think, yeah, I think it can be quite sort of self-affirming, like um, if I do this well, I have faith that things will go well for these mm. people mm. with parkour. Yeah. Sort of, uh, something like that. <laughs> so, Sam Kopak, do you have, yeah, do you have faith in the traditional sense? Um, we've, you know, I'm sure we've had many late conversation, late night conversations <laughs> about this, but why not mm. delve into um, maybe an update on on where you are with regards to, you know, what what you believe in, what you think may be true about. The reality of 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 what's what's up there or what isn't up there and the powers that be or may not be. Um, right. mm. I was recently introduced to uh, an idea known as panpsychism. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, so you've got mm. you've got materialism, which is the idea that all consciousness, like. Grow, comes out of materials so you've got you know you've got the objective reality but like Yuval Yuval Noah Harari's notion of you've got objective reality which is just things and consciousness grows out of that right like a cell on its own may have um you know no no consciousness but when things are put together into a brain structure there is there is consciousness you know and that, and that exists in animals exists in humans and then you've got the spiritualist, which is the idea that consciousness precedes matter. So there was a conscious entity, there's a conscious driving force behind the universe, and that's what gives birth to matter, right? 
but this panpsychism is the idea that consciousness is um, non-detachable from objective material. So we we perceive consciousness as you know in in our daily lives as like you know animals are conscious. We're conscious. Uh, maybe maybe people might think plants are conscious in some sense, but um, what pan, what a panpsychist would believe is that there is consciousness within every atom. Like whether it's a very basic level of consciousness, um, it's yeah, like as in that there is a consciousness that exists in all things. So it's, it's similar to a spiritualist, but spiritualist it implies that there is a, a driving force preceding preceding material. Whereas panpsychism is, you know, it's it's literally like inseparable. It's 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 one and the same thing. Um, so yeah, that's just an idea I, I heard recently. Um, so you don't have to. I mean, it's a new concept. So I don't know. I don't know what you think of that. Um, but also, just wanted mm. to know. Yeah, what's your relationship with with the higher, the higher order of things in general these days? <laughs> Oof. Uh, okay. So, just to get the gears running a little bit, because it might take a bit of warming up. It's It's still early, really. (laughs) So, when you mentioned panpsychism, it reminded me of um, an Alan Watts talk I was listening to last night, actually, where he very stridently makes the case that there is no separation between I and the environment you can't really make a case for any sort of separation, even though we are generally of the mind that humans exist here and the environment is everything around us. Uh, he makes the point that we are, invo- we are the environment. Uh, and he goes deeper in, in saying, if a flower um, produces fruits or petals, uh, the universe produces humans it, it it humans you know w- why are we any different or separate than anything else within the universe um we are a product of the universe rather than you know people say he makes the point that people say we came into the world he's like no no you came out of the world uh, that how on earth would you come into the world from from nothing um we are a product of and consistent with everything else um so that that suggests a sort of panpsychism similarity there Mm. um so what's my what's my feeling i think something that i keep going back to which made sense to me a long time ago uh it still makes sense to me I, i can't quite articulate it and i remember we had quite a long discussion about it once but the way that I see uh, anything higher or kind of the nature of God or whatever you want to call this is I imagine um, the universe and its constituent parts as a tapestry and the tapestry involves everything physical, everything mental, time, space, literally woven into this this tapestry it's all combined there's nothing separate because i actually 
do agree with Alan in that sense. Like, what is separate? Is there anything separate? Mm, I don't think so. I think everything is connected or at least touching, you know? Mm. So I imagine this kind of whole tapestry of, of what we call life. Um, and I think of God or the nature of how things work as the way the tapestry moves. I think we talked about this a while ago. So, so not, I see the move. Yes. Yeah. So, so not, so not the um, being or 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 originator of the, the person, the God who woven wove the, the stitches together, but the, the movement of it itself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think m- movement as a as an emphasised point there. Uh, in every stone that will never have consciousness or what we believe is consciousness, there are still electrons spinning about at extreme speeds. There's movement in practically everything. Uh, and so I see that at a macro level and a, and a hang on, micro and macro, I forget the, the difference. Anyway, I see it in both the small and the 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 inconceivably large scales is kind of the same. Mm. And so I believe that in a sort of neutral way, not necessarily a good or a bad way, that the movement of the tapestry of existence is what God or the or the way or um something higher to explain how everything works is it's the way it moves the way time moves the way space moves the way the way that things live and die and and things change and that's my only that seems to be a one of the only kind of mm, semi-solid blocks I have to stand on with what I think (laughs) I came up I kind of came up with that when I was at uni and I still kind of agree I think a bit differently now maybe but it's it feels at least somewhat explanatory for me (laughs) so that that movement of the tapestry is that movement Mm. random does it have a driving force or a direction behind it or is it <clears throat> following patterns that just happen to have existed before it and it therefore recreates patterns over and over again i i lean um, towards like the latter in that i don't think there's a mm. i don't think it's random i don't think that like there does seem to be a direction of sorts um, behind, you know, what why things seem to, to, to move in the way that they move. You know, like all of a sudden tomorrow, um, the, the grass is not going to be red tomorrow for everyone like that. Like it's consistent mm-hmm. in, in a direction, um, you know, and then in a more complex uh example the you know the human condition like if 
if we if we sit around doing absolutely nothing with our lives we feel we feel worthless we feel bad and i think there is a there's a reason behind that that's not just that doesn't just have a biological explanation you know we could say oh well the chemicals in the brain uh you know are altered and there is this you know um what would you say like um what's it called mind has gone completely brown. So like, like you sorry, know refresh we, refresh the sentence so you know the, the brain the brain the brain fires right and 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 uh yeah you know there are there are there are chemicals that, that go up, up and downstream the body um mm. and we can explain why you feel bad when you're not doing much with your life right but that doesn't explain why mm. doing something with your life is important Okay, and I think that there's a pattern that we can recognise, and we can go well throughout history. Like this has been an issue for humans. You know, this isn't a product of the society we live in. This isn't a product of anything that only exists now. It's only come about recently. This is a historical human experience that isn't only explainable by the means of science because. And and I think this is where religion steps in and 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 bears the weight of explaining these things. Um, uh, and yeah, I think there's I think there is a there is a there is a a direction of sorts, not necessarily a dictator pointing in a direction, which is kind of what I think a lot of uh, probably the vast majority of people believe in the world. Really, right? It's like a god that is literally creating a direction for things uh, whether that's an intervening god or a god that created wrote a blueprint and has left the world to its own devices in a direction with the blueprint kind of embedded in the structure of reality mm. but i think um that there is a there is a pattern there is a some there's a there's a string that connects experience and reality and consciousness that's headed in a direction of sorts and there's a consistency that is not explainable through uh, quantitative analysis like science. There's a qualitative aspect to these things, which I think religion sort of, you know, fills fill, fills the void of exp- explaining. Mm. So I don't know if you have any, have any thoughts on that. Um, or, do, or do you think that there is some yeah. sort of blueprint that seems to exist and there is a direction that is unavoidable? Um. <clears throat> So just while it's in my mind, one thing you said, mm-hmm. uh, this is consistency is is the remarkable thing that I've thought of quite a lot. Like, yes, the grass doesn't change color, but also it, it doesn't get weirder. Like if you think of the scope of the human imagination, I mean, in, in dark ways as well, think of people with severe mental illness and what they're thinking what they believe it's remarkable to me that things are so consistent in 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 the world and in what we call the universe um you know thank god that we don't wake up tomorrow and i'm caught in some strange new event where I don't know, 
<laughs> I'm just looking around now, I'm like trying to find inspiration, like sarcastic wine bottles uh, make up the air we breathe. Like, I'm trying to think of something random. Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah, no, it I sounds know what so stupid, but like, yeah. it's incredible to me that with the scope of the human imagination, that the most things are very, very steady and very, very ordered mm. um, to the point where we can make patterns and we can deduce that, well, the uh, sun rose in this, this place um, today, mm-hmm. it will 100% do the same tomorrow. And uh, so I'm kind of, well, first of all, extremely grateful that, <laughs> that um, there seems to be some sort of order and consistency um and also it yeah it does it it's always going to beg the question uh well are things made that way um it's the idea of the the blind watchmaker if you've you've ever heard that story um how can something be how can so many complicated things be so meticulously uh perfect in a way uh, how can things be so ordered? Um, a sort of slightly, well, tangential thought is I often look at kind of technology, things like laptops and things we use every day, cars. And sometimes, sometimes a thought comes to me like, could it actually, could they, could, could it have been any different? Uh, is there a degree of inevitability about the, manifestation of a laptop like is it like from 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 thousands of years ago hundreds of years ago whatever you want to you know however however far back you want to go is there a sense of inevitability in the things that we produce is it inevitable that we make that we were always going to make a smartphone you know and it's sort of is the bicycle the best thing we can we can transport ourselves on uh, within a certain number of variables. You know, is it that's that's for one for one person that will go on a road that will be a smooth, safe ride? You know, like mm. all these things are they are these products sort of inevitable uh, of the way things work and that we want and that we are going to use and I'm finding it quite difficult to explain, but I think, I, yeah, if yeah. I could, if I could chip in there, like I think, yeah, um, go ahead. Chip in. Ch- I meant to say chime in. Oh, I said chip in. <laughs> That's like chipping in for petrol. Um, <laughs> I think, it, 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 I think I know what you're saying um, in terms of it being like inevitable, and I do. I, I I've had similar thoughts, but I think that it's more than anything else, just like a building on evolution. So. You know, in the same way that we as humans, you know, and, and, our, and our evolutionary history is so imperfect. And, um, you know, it's like this this kind of, you know, illusion that we have that I know Dawkins talks about quite a lot uh, with regards to our kind of, we, we're like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're made perfectly for this planet. There's oxygen here, there's water here, you know, like, and, and that's that's an illusion, right? Because 
it's like we no, we are a product of that environment through like by the means of evolution and incremental steps have like cr- like made made the environment and the like you said we are the environment ourselves and we're not we're not um distinct from the environment but i think um yeah so, so there's therefore like an evolutionary step-by-step process that occurs to get to certain points and i think with something like the smartphone for example I think back to uh, something, I, I like the way Jordan Peterson put it, he's on about when someone's learning the piano and he says how when someone learns, like um, when when they make an error, their errors are drastically um, wide and uh, incorrect. And over time, their errors become more and more marginal. And as they refine it, you know, it's it's kind of this kind of effect. You know, and I think with regards to like the smartphone, if you look at like I'm really interested in tech and smartphones, I watch all of Marquez Brownlee's videos and and uh, Mister Who's the Boss, which is a really strange YouTube channel name, but he's a really really interesting, intelligent guy. Um, but yeah, just looking at you know, I'm fascinated by the history of smartphones and how how wildly different they were at one point. You know how they were literally like you know me and me and me and Shreya, we were talking about the kind of you know, from black our phones that we had growing up as, you know, primary school kids and then secondary school kids, and it like how different each smartphone I had was, or not even smartphone, how different every phone I had was. You know, from a Sony Ericsson to a BlackBerry to a LG Cookie, um, <laughs> you know, and then and then to things like Sony smartphones that were touchscreen, and then Samsungs yeah. and and then iPhones and just how. And you can observe that same, you know, reality in the evolution of smartphones as you can in the evolution of the human the human body, the human design. Um, and I think there is, you know, when we talk about patterns and we talk about uh, direction and we talk about inevitability, it's so hard, like it's so easy to assume inevitability and uh, difficult to comprehend the the the, the marginal steps in the in the process that that build uh, a final product it's not even a final product because things are constantly changing right but i suppose this is a final product right um but yeah i I think that's you know we're not we're not necessarily going to come to any conclusions in this conversation that's fine and that's not the purpose of this conversation but yeah just to kind of some some things we've been, been thinking about recently with that um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say on on that point uh, before we before we swiftly move on. I think there's there's always going to be mystery and there's always going to be limitation. Um, I think that different things may give us glimpses of something something else or something or put or at least put us in the state where we experience something else and perhaps that's even more interesting maybe it's not necessarily what's out there but maybe like what can happen to this like what can actually this thing go through um mm. because it seems to me that in many case in in many ways the sort of human experience 
fueled, not fueled is the wrong word. Uh, I'm going to use fueled, fueled by the brain. Sometimes I feel like it's the, <laughs> it's the best possible opportunity for bliss or happiness. Possibly the only, I mean, or the only. Be- being yeah. conscious is the only opportunity for happiness and bliss, right? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Um, but again, defining what? defining consciousness and where it comes from is important, mm. is integral to that question because going back to the materialist, spiritualist, panpsychist idea, you know, mm. um, is 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 a stone existing in bliss? Is a tree existing in? Does it have the oppor- same opportunities for bliss and for chaos as we yeah. do? Uh, maybe maybe we just perceive it as because they are such basic systems compared to the complexities of our experience. Maybe we just mm. perceive it as well. It's not. It's clearly like any sort of bliss that they might get is is ridiculous, but. Maybe we're just limited <laughs> by our complexity. We're limited by our complexity. Mm. There's a there's a yeah. quote to stick on your Instagram um, <laughs> with it with a picture of the just, stars behind it. Yeah, I've just got t- just two last things to say on that. Actually, okay. F- first one, um, if you don't mind, first one, uh, I, I quite specifically remember when I used to do club photography. I had this really moving experience actually where <clears throat> I was in this kind of nightclub and I was just on the periphery of the dance floor you know with my camera ready to take pictures for anyone that wanted and I was kind of just looking around I was just standing back and you know I'm stone cold sober um, and there's people dancing in front of me there's 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 couples there's all sorts of different people and I remember standing back and, you know, the music definitely wasn't to my taste. It was awful. Um, but I remember kind of having this quite strong, like, emotional moment where I looked at everyone and I sort of thought, like, and I could see everyone smiling, everyone dancing, laughing. And I was just thinking, like, wow, there really is a chance for happiness. There really, there really is a, an opportunity that we have to experience um, momentary bliss, and I just it like it nearly it nearly brought me to tears because you know I don't know any of these people and um, they they'll have no idea who I I am or will never remember me. But in that kind of moment, I remember just thinking like, wow, it's kind of this pseudo paradise just for that moment. I was like, wow, that's like quite quite amazing really um and what's funny about that situation is if you'd have voiced this to almost anyone in the club they would have (laughs) laughed at you hysterically oh yeah 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 yeah, for sure for sure um and and the the final thing i wanted to say on on that um you mentioned about kind of the experience of a stone or a tree and that sort of thing um one thing that really fascinates me uh which I don't really know much about, is you take the blue whale, 
the size of its brain. I think they have the largest brains on planet Earth. They've got big brains, yeah. They got big... <laughs> Yeah. They got big ones, yeah, yeah, mm. and uh, I know it's not a linear relationship between the size of a brain and intelligence, blah blah blah. But mm. the the idea of like what would a bigger brain think and feel and experience is just is so mysterious and curious to me. Mm. Like, what was it like to be something with that material? You know, mm. we've got this material. What's it like to be something with something bigger? Like, what are they? Oh my god! And, and this is something that. So when I when I <laughs> talked about uh, the the, the panpsychism idea, uh, this guy Philip Goff, who's a I think he's at Durham University, um, a a philosopher at Durham University, and he just cool. talks about how um, you know it, like consciousness. We, you know, we have all these conversations about consciousness. We're doing all this science around consciousness. But what's unique about it is it's is it's one of the only uh, things we know of that is not publicly observable. And what it means by that is it's a completely qualitative experience, not like, you know, he thinks that the foundations of science on the analysis of consciousness is flawed because science by by principle looks at quantitative data and analyzes it and derives understanding from quantitative analysis but his his argument is we need to reconsider uh the scientific method the scientific approach to in order to understand the, the nature of consciousness truly we need to have new paradigms through which to observe and analyze reality in order to understand mm. consciousness because it's not publicly observable it's not it's it's a completely subjective experience we will never know through the scientific method or through conversation as we as we are now limited what it's like for that whale you know and maybe we will never know at all but yeah his his argument is we're not going to get any closer through scientific work that that works in this paradigm essentially so yeah but whales brains are pretty big uh, you're six three six two six three so you're hoping that size does matter um which i understand <laughs> so anyway let's um talk talking of well I, I wanted to i wanted to just generally speak to you about this i wrote this down as like a maybe um seeing as we're talking about yeah, water sure. and uh creatures that live underwater which is a brilliant segue to i watched the shape of water last night uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Film that you spoke quite highly of. Uh, yeah, I spoke to you. I, I, I watched Nightmare Alley about three weeks ago, a month ago, and absolutely loved it. Ever since I haven't stopped thinking about it. It's, it is one of my favourite films now of all time, uh, for many, many reasons. And yeah, I, I'm I'm impressed with uh, Del Toro's imagination. I'm I'm blown away. Actually, impressed is not enough of a. <laughs> Of, of a word um you are of the opinion that shape of water is better than nightmare alley i believe in your opinion like as in you, you prefer it as if, like which is your favorite uh, film out of the two yeah i would yeah shape of water yeah 
And I know that you said to me, because you found it, it was weird and that was very attractive to you and Nightmare Alley wasn't quite yeah. as weird as your expectations. Um, so what, why? Yeah, first of all, like, what, were you thought, what were your thoughts on, on Shape of Water and Nightmare Alley? Um, and why, why do you think Shape of Water is... Why do you prefer it to Nightmare Alley? <laughs> well, I'm desperate to know what you thought of it now because I'm, I'm, not, getting, I'll, I'm I'll, not getting anything. I'll, I want to hear you first. And then I'll, and then I'll all right, all right, all right. So I've only I've only seen Shape of Water once, um, yeah. but like most good films, it only takes one viewing to kind of remember it. You know, I don't I don't think oh which one was it again? What was that film? No, no, the Shape of Water. I know, I know what it was. Um, yeah. Why do I like it more? Uh, okay, so. <clears throat> Shape of Water has, I think, firstly, two great characters. You've got the main, I, I've forgotten the names completely, but you have the main female character and the main older male character. I think the, that... Our protagonist, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the um, antagonist is as much of a main character as well, which is, who's brilliant, but yeah, Karen. <clears throat> oh, the, the kind of CEO guy. Yeah, the the guy with the stick, the the electric stick. Yeah, like yeah. the enemy okay. in the yeah. film, essentially. Yeah, the antagonist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm I'm just going to be blunt about it. I think that the the sexual aspect of the film is really interesting and quite daring. So, I think that you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of shocked me, but made me laugh as well. This routine that this, I, I guess she's in her 30s, you could say, maybe 40s. I, I, I'd probably say 30s. Yeah. 30s. Um, that the main character has, you know, she, wake up, she wakes up, has a bath, masturbates in the bath, goes to work sort of thing, like clockwork. Then you also have the, the older gentleman who... It's may it, it implies that he's a gay man, uh, and this is in the sort of nineteen sixties, I think, sort of Cold I War it's time. Sixties, yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought it was quite. Um, I think the sexual aspect of the whole film is is quite bold, combined obviously with, and this is a spoiler if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, with the the aqua creature <laughs> that she forms a a relationship and sexual intimacy with um again strange and kind of curious like that kind of idea of what if there was an alien and it was kind of like you like could you interact with it in a weird way could you fall mm. in love with it could you be intimate with it you know um it's just a kind of like one of those strange ideas and it's played out on the screen for you to see and you sort of think mm. like, okay, I don't know how I feel about this, but it's, it's very interesting mm. um, because it's, it's displaying maybe a fantasy that people have or like a fantasy of, of, where, of where humans meet, meet science fiction. Yeah, you know? it, it's, almost, it's almost stimulating two um, seemingly contradictory kind of... Um, like it's it's triggering two contradictory emotions, if you like. One is kind of dis like it's uncomfortable to yeah. think and and the idea of this, but yet 
it's warming and beautiful at the same time. And I think that mm. that is its strongest. Like it had to be daring in order to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people would watch the film and be like, that was weird as, as fuck. And I'm not into that, <laughs> right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. the overwhelming majority of people just going by YouTube comments and by going that it won Best Picture in the Oscars. Um, mm. I think I think it the overwhelming majority enjoyed that um, that clash of of um, kind of emotions that don't normally go together, but yet were mm. worked in a way through this film that, uh, that that made people really like it. They resonated with it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the the scene where the the bath overflows and fills up the entire room is mm. is really beautiful actually if i remember it right mm. yeah. just because of how how ridiculous it is um yeah. but just again that f- fantastical element mm. and also i guess it it contrasts quite nicely with the the um well the malicious and and uh abhorrent nature of human beings because there's some quite graphic stuff in there if i remember Mm, and done by humans it's not done by the 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 beast you know Mm, it's mm. and it has this kind of uh i guess you could say this animal appreciation Mm. aspect of it that there's this animal that's kind of like a human but doesn't elicit the same um, uh, animosity or malice that humans, you know, can 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 uh, mm. kind of miss it. I think. I think. But it, so but it, it did. Can... It did. It did bite um, the guy's fingers <laughs> off when he was oh, mistreating. When he was mistreating him, right? So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it yeah. does. You know, it does represent a moral understanding as well. Yeah. No, yeah. So I think. Um, and again, I guess to, to answer your question, I, I liked uh, the world was very interesting. This kind of Bioshock esque underground green, yeah, uh, green. Cold War time. Yeah, green's a big very color green. in that. Yeah, very well done. Um, I liked that that world. I guess a bit more than the Nightmare Alley. Um, I don't. I, I I do remember roughly how it ends. Um, there's a number of bits that I can't remember. I felt that there was one pace change which confused me, where they kind of get get the creature out quite early in the film. I was like, oh, oh right, they've done it then, sort of thing. Um, something like that. I would say it's about <clears> two. <throat> just going off memory, I watched it last night. I would say going off of memory, it's maybe two thirds through. Okay. But then yeah. obviously, yeah, they get the creature out of the the lab, and then it's. They keep it in the bath for probably like a week, maybe, so that you know yeah. that's still still part of the story. Um, yeah, I thought I thought the pacing was 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 quite good. Probably one of the stronger points of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like so. Don't get me wrong. Like you know, if if uh, Nightmare Alley is a solid nine out of ten, uh, maybe nine point something out of ten, and only only notching down a couple of points because of like you said it could have had maybe a more memorable soundtrack which is a strong point about films but overall it, you know still a brilliant film for me whereas you know th- th- this is 8.5 like i'm you know i'm not i'm not notching it down far below you did that. enjoy you, you did enjoy it 
I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Good. Um, good, good. <laughs> We've got that. <laughs> one, yeah, I think that one of the strongest things about it, and I, I'm, I'm only, you know, becoming knowledgeable of, of 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 this recently from watching Del Toro's films, is just how strong his themes are, um, and how that carries mm. the film with such a such a strength. Um, and yeah, that's done in with the colours. I think the green, the the whole thing with green. It's just brilliant, like from, you know, um, the colours of the walls, the colour grading, the sweets that the guy eats are green, the car oh, yeah. that he buys, <laughs> the car that he buys is green. Um, yeah. You know, there's, yeah, a lot a lot of things. Um, and if you, I, 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 something I, I noticed in Nightmare Alley is just a lot of kind of subliminal messaging that's around on posters and billboards and just background things. And I, I paid attention to more of them in uh in the shape of water and there are plenty of them as well which i'm, I'm oh, really? constantly impressed by uh the set That's design cool. that, that i think the room with the um you know where, where the creature's being kept initially with the chains on stuff incredible yeah. set just so so you know so well done um and the kind of board meeting room where they're upstairs and kind of like the overlooking room that he kind of you know the the uh, our antagonist kind of is mm. always in yeah, I, I think I think it was I think it was really good. I think if I'm gonna make any criticisms, I think it's it was in terms of structure, story structure, like narrative structure, it was a bit simpler than Nightmare Alley. I like a bit of complexity. Um, I think it's you know, there's this creature, and for, for, as soon as she kind of gives it an egg, you kind of go, oh, okay, well, I can kind of predict the rest of the film, really. Like, once she started to, you know, become intimate, not even not even physically intimate, but just, you know, emotionally intimate with this creature. It's like, okay, she's going to fall mm. in love with this creature. He, he wants to kill it. The Russians want to kill it. You know, mm. they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna try and rescue this creature. Um, the, the, the guy, you know, our, our antagonist, is going to chase them eventually and try and kill them. But he's going to turn around and save her life and kill and kill you know our enemy and then they they live they live happily ever after kind of thing like as in yeah and and like the start of the film I, I actually yeah like um it took me it took me a minute to remember this but this very start of the film it shows uh how yeah like the very start of the film is um she's a mermaid living under under the water like that's the first kind of opening shot and then it zooms yeah. out and it's and it's yeah, her, yeah, her yeah. gay friend who tells the story um so yeah. i kind of knew that oh she's going to be a mermaid in the end like it already says that you know she's going to be a, right. not a mermaid but whatever it is like a, a creature like <laughs> um yeah mm. i mean it, that the, you know and that and that is that is my main kind of criticism is just the complexity i think nightmare rally had a lot more twists and turns a lot more unpredictability within it um i also think that so you know the the cleaner lady like there's there's the two there's the pair they go around cleaning i think mm. her character was i did laugh at some of the stuff but i i i i left uh the, the film thinking did that did that comedy add or detract from the film yeah did her okay. character <laughs> and her kind of silliness and her kind of pop pop kind of uh, attitude uh it, it kind of yeah, it, it almost took me out of the world, which was very immersive. It took me out of it briefly. Um, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. A little yeah. bit at times. So yeah, um, overall, 
but yeah, like I said, the 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 cinematography, the lighting again, it's just so so strong. Subliminal messages. I think you know that the again, it's it's basically this is Bioshock one and two and Nightmare Alley with yeah. Bioshock Infinite, right? I would love to hear <laughs> Del Toro speak about um, Bioshock, yeah. actually. I would love to hear him. Yeah. Just, I, I need to watch some interviews and see if he does. because Surely, surely. Surely. But yeah, all of those aspects that, that, that just gripped me about Bioshock uh, were in... Like, it's strange, you know, I've, I've always, you know, referred to myself as an atheist and yet all these reli- like strongly, like, religious themes seem to provoke something in me like very like like um the, the, the sins and stuff the, de- the deadly sins something about that just resonates i just i find it really really interesting um so yeah i think overall well, nightmare alley was was a bit was a notch above for me um and also i did find nightmare alley really weird and wacky and i think the diversity of the cast added to that the strength of the characters each character had a depth in nightmare alley every single character had a real real depth you know i think in shape of water like i said the cleaner lady who was her friend and also maybe the the, the, her gay friend could have had a bit more depth like his story was kind of explained but i think it was a bit more shallowly done i think like with nightmare alley del toro's really doubt like like screwed into the, the 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 core of each character and made sure that's known and, and made sure each one has a depth to it um really mm. that, that was really strong about nightmare Alley. but yeah um well i wanted to speak about films because you know you review films as well you're you know as much as your public persona is concerned you are a a podcaster you're you know you're a parkour athlete you train um and the other thing that you you post publicly is films from reviews so um <laughs> definitely yeah everyone should go and check out sam's film reviews Thanks. on his instagram he's got a lot and he's Thanks, uh, yeah i'm i'm yeah also into films and sam is very into films and uh, it's been nice to talk about that um so yeah man have you got well, any more thoughts just on that before we uh yeah move on and, well last last thing i'm 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 excited there f- um i'm excited for you to finish the trilogy Pan's with the Labyrinth. best film of the three pan's labyrinth which for me is the best film of the three. So I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on that because that isn't just my favourite Del Toro film. It's actually one of my favourite films, full stop. So, um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm keen for you to see that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. We'll, we'll, definitely, we'll definitely be watching it very soon. Um, so what are... What are your plans like? You know, you said you're 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 generally enjoying your coaching. Um, you know, you you, yeah. you told me personally that you want to put a bit more time and effort into podcasting. Is podcasting yeah. really a a a, a, a verb? Um, energy towards the podcast. Have you got any other? What What are your general plans going forwards uh, in this mm. year? In the next five years? Um, etc yeah i think so i'm coming up to two years now with the podcast mm-hmm. which is bizarre uh and you were my first guest it was i think may may i think it was may 2020 yep sounds right sounds about right so i started it started it in in the pandemic in the pandemic period 
and here we are now. So um, I'm coming up to, well, I've just, I've kind of got past episode 40. So I now have a rough idea of what I can do in how much time, if that makes sense. Like if I didn't work at all and just purely did podcasting, I could maybe do two a week or something, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then that equates to a certain amount per year, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's actually quite incredible how many podcasts some some big platforms have put out. It's, it's yeah. remarkable, actually. It really um, is. Yeah. That's a lot of content. <laughs> Um, what I'm focusing on a bit now is legitimizing and um, essentially connecting even more. So I'm trying to, I, I, I've conceded that the only way to legitimize something is to make it look nice, <laughs> okay. um, to make it, to make it look legit. You, you mean so regarding to- the, the branding of your podcast? Yeah, yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it is, it's funny because I've I've used a new program called Canva, which is a yeah. it's a it's a really cool tool to use. Pretty yeah. simple, easy to use for for like Instagram posts and branding and stuff. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I want to have the at least the image of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny that I had a message from from someone who who said. Oh, it's great to see that things are looking so official now with this thing. And it's just, I was like, okay, right. Yeah. Interesting. All I've done is change the graphics. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the... yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that in this, in this kind of social media world, it's, um, it's actually a standard to present anything. You need to have, it needs to look good. It needs to look mm. professional, it needs to look legitimate in some way, or at least better than nothing. Um, mm, because yeah. people just won't take you as seriously in a way. Um, think of any parkour brand and they've probably spent a lot of time on how they look and how they they post and the graphics and everything. Yeah, some more successfully in doing that than others, I think. Uh, I'm not going to yeah. name, name names because I, I think some people may listen to this podcast who are within that, but... There's definitely yeah. a, a brand or two in mind that I think have changed their brand in, in directions and too many times where it's been, I th- for me, it's like, yeah, not, not it doesn't look good. It, it, it looks uh, inconsistent and it's, yeah, mm. I, I don't know. Like You can go too far in, in that as well. Like, you know, you need to have some consistency. Sure, sure. But yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So in terms of, yeah, traje- my trajectory, um, this year... Uh, yeah, I'm going to try and carry out lots more podcasts, um, be a bit, bit more experimental as well. I did an on the road one where I just used my phone and uh, that was a, a mixed success, but still exciting for me because it wasn't literally just 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 Zoom that I've been used to. Mm. Uh, doing more in, in-person interviews as well, like actually taking my microphone I tried that. I went to Grimsby and did that with the kids there, and that was really fun and a lot mm. more fluid. Um, mm. So I want to do that. Um, I'd love to get sponsored. Anyone listening? <laughs> It'd be great to have some sort of sponsorship for my podcast um, so that I can make money off it because then I'm, again, that, that, that for me sounds like even more of a dream if I can get paid for doing like coaching parkour 
get paid for doing a podcast. Um, I am admittedly very much tying myself and put my all my eggs in the, the parkour basket, but mm. um, it well, does sound like a bit of a dream for me as well because I know I can do it. So You can go a lot of directions with something like a podcast, though. I think that's why I've decided to really do this. Yeah. It, it, you know, it does incorporate a lot of aspects of what I'm interested in. Like A lot of my interests can be combined into yeah. something like this. Um, mm. you know, and it can take many forms. So I think that's a that's a good thing about a podcast. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in terms of my coaching, I kind of have some decisions really because mm. I could just keep going doing what I do in the same way that I do. Um, but that's quite a daunting thing, actually. Um, I don't want to stay in this. No, no disrespect to agility. I love what I'm doing, but they know as well that I won't be there forever. Um, I'm keen enough that I want to work in other places with other people and essentially, uh, but yeah, being, being positive parkour environments where people understand what I'm trying to do and, and build and, you know, I guess just, yeah, build parkour education. I think my, my new, I've kind of coined my new slogan for parkour coach companion as lighting the way for parkour education. And I think that my individual role might not be to be, you know, the best educator and the, the most widely known parkour educator, but I also want to push up lots and lots of other people who are doing good stuff but they aren't mm. athletes. They're not. They're not doing cork prees. You know, mm. they're they're grinding out week by week and making a difference. I think with with um, with children and with with beginners of parkour, whatever age they are. And so I, I kind of want to use my podcast as a way to lift and connect these people up as well, mm. which hopefully will then help me. So I hope that it's kind of all a nice positive loop. Um, mm. and then having a gym would be cool. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 I've had some interesting recent thoughts about. I think I heard this on maybe Motus or Stora. I can't remember, but they were talking about the need, perhaps, to make gyms a bit differently in the future. Mm. Not, not as not as linear as how they are right now. And that's kind of poked a few thoughts into my head about like, hmm, well, would I just want to make another quite obvious type of gym? Mm -hmm. If I'm really going to invest in something like this, mm. is there other ways of making spaces for people to do parkour? Something we've mm. not thought of yet. Mm. And I think there is opportunity, definitely. I'm not sure what it looks like, but... Maybe we could make a space um, yeah. that is so different from what we see now as a parkour gym that uh, maybe even Stora begin to award uh, clips from within a gym. That would be nice. I know we talked about that briefly um, before. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of said before, I I don't have an issue with Stora's platform with regards to like 
Story Awards and what they cho- what they choose to award and what they don't choose to award. Um, but mm-hmm. I would have liked it if they would allow gym clips to be included. People who like training, you know, like so let's say like uh, Dinger of the Year or whatever, you know, like different different kind of things or Line of the Year or Athlete of the Year. If a lot of those clips from that athlete were comprised of clips within a gym. I think that that should also be considered. Um, I think that there's a skill set that gets developed in a gym that is distinct from outside, but part of the repertoire of skills that are now are what make up parkour. Um, you know, parkour is not just you train in the gym so that you're good outside. It's not preparation for outside things, in my opinion. It's um, it's a it's a it's just another like. A, a crazy bar setup uh, to be good at a certain level demands a, a, a developing of a skill in that environment, and I think that is as much parkour as jumping around on rooftops and doing wall runs and ascents and descents. That's they're all segments of parkour, and someone who is very good in a gym and also very good outside is, in my opinion, overall in terms of attributes, higher than someone who's just good outside and isn't very competent with a complex bar setup or, you know, it swings and under bars. And, oh, like, there are other things that you can get up to in a gym that you can't really get up to outside as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have any uh, more thoughts on that from what we discussed previously or just want to reiterate a couple of points. Um, I'm not trying to create any... I, I just, I know that Daryl... Daryl Stringley's chimed in on this on Instagram with regards to, uh, you know, training in a gym and how it's all hard things, that, that like as in hard objects and people trying to make out as though it's not the same, it's all soft inside, it's easy inside and his argument is, well, it's all very, very difficult, the stuff I'm doing indoors and you can't do it, so why are you only why are you only respecting outdoor clips and outdoor training you know and i think there is a growing feeling from more street rap type people who are training outside that have this kind of they look they look down on gym training a little bit in some way uh, they they i think you know, most people still respect the likes of Nico van Hole and Jared Hulu uh, for their competency inside but i think there is just a growing trend of people having some distaste towards gyms in general, but now that they're growing in popularity. Uh, I don't know where you stand on this exactly, but I know we talked about it briefly. Yeah, I mean... I think when we talked about it, it, it aesthetics has to be involved in this conversation. Um we present parkour all the time. That is a huge part of the culture. We present it all the time. You know, it's not a silent discipline where people are just training and you never see what's going on. It's the opposite. Hmm. So for me, my personal preference, I like seeing stuff outdoors more than indoors. That's just my aesthetic choice. Um, But I don't disregard the insane difficulty and and um of of the challenges that and the and this yeah the challenges inside in indoor environments 
that people complete or the, or the, the the boundary pushing as well. I think we mentioned Elias Torhill. Yeah. Um, he is using a gym to push the boundaries of human potential. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, man, you do that. I am. Who the hell am I to stand in the way of that? Mm. You do your thing, man. Like, obviously, yes, using mats, using um, foam pits. Go ahead. Let's explore this. Let's let's explore how far we can go. Like, fine. But you're that, saying that gym isn't, y- yeah. you you are always going to prefer watching someone do some one eighties and climb ups on walls outside. Yeah, done well. Then watch him for like if you had to if you had to watch an hour of footage from Ellis Elias Torhel. I think it's. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think not sure. El, maybe it is. Maybe it is Ellis. Actually, sorry. Okay. Sorry if he's listening. Yeah, but yeah. You're like in your opinion, just from a watching and how interesting you would find it, how engaging you would find it. You prefer watching yeah stuff outdoors than watching indoors, regardless of the level of skill like the 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 height the level of skill is a secondary question to what takes your interest and how it looks yes but that's just my aesthetic preference it's not a it's not a i i don't i don't my appreciation or respect is not any different yeah uh if, if i see someone high level in a gym just absolutely killing it i have no foot to stand on to say that i don't like respect that yeah at all um yeah, i think it's right. incredible what people do i mean it's, you see like passion messing about with incredible things mm. daryl tearing up in his gym um uh, yeah there's, there's so many people uh but you know if you say to me would i prefer to see clips of matthias in indoor settings or outdoor settings easy one for me um yeah, and like I said, for me, I, I just, I'm actually quite impartial to watch how, like, to where Matthias is, Matthias, Matthias. Like, I just, I like seeing him experimenting. Like, um, it, it, I'm not actually as as bothered about where he is. Um, some of the most memorable things I think of with Matthias is him just doing, like, back falls on a, on like one of them benches, like gym benches, wooden gym, like uh, like school benches in socks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's inc- that's just crazy. Um, <laughs> and then you know the same goes mm. for you know that, like Daryl, uh, I am Wavezilla. I, I, I don't know if it's Stringley or Stingley. I always forget. But you know, I I I I like his indoor stuff more than his outdoor stuff. As as impressive as about as as his outdoor stuff is. You know, if I'm going to somewhere like Nova City or I'm going to Hell 5 or I'm going to an indoor facility, I'm very likely to watch, you know, a video of him indoors to kind of get me excited for that in, in, a, in a kind of, in a way. And the same with Nico, like as much as Nico, Nico's uh, outdoor stuff is great. And if, if he only ever posted outdoor stuff, I would still love his content. But I kind of prefer his indoor stuff. It's a bit, it's a bit more outside the box because of the nature of the environment um mm-hmm. and yeah i think like it, it just it just comes back to this point for me of i would have liked it if stora included indoor stuff you know i think they but by not allowing that to be part of the equation in giving out awards they've closed off probably at the minute only a few athletes who could have potentially won awards but as gyms grow and grow in popularity and quantity 
Um, I think that it's 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 more and more of an issue if we if if people like Stora don't give awards to athletes who train a lot in gyms because I think the ground like the Stora stuff is just as groundbreaking as what's going on outdoors. And you know you put you put Max Max Cave or Toby in, in the environment that Nico trains on those bars in Hal Five, where he's you know he's doing some crazy stuff and. I'm sure, you know, they have a level of competence, but, you know, compared to what Nico's doing, compared to what Daryl's doing inside a gym, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's, yeah, it like, it, it's like someone who, let's like putting Ellis Torhau on a root, on an English rooftop, you know, it's, it is, it is, it is almost a fish out of water in terms of the, how much they've developed those particular skills and those particular skills are just as much part of parkour for me. Mm. Um, but I get that there's an like an appeal of outdoor stuff that just like is is more interesting to watch for most people. Which I agree, like, on the whole, I prefer seeing outdoor stuff. But there's a select few athletes that I prefer seeing their indoor stuff, and I would have liked it if they'd have been considered for what they've done indoors as part of the Stora Awards. Um, so that's as far as my opinion goes. Not hating on Stora for that decision. It's completely their decision to make. Um, it's their it's their awards. They are. They they have every right to 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 choose what does and doesn't get awarded, but I would just mm-hmm. like to have like to have seen that. Um, mm. But but yeah, I know some people will disagree quite strongly. Some people will maybe agree even more, like you know, in favour of gym stuff than me. But mm. yeah. but we'll see. We'll see. I guess it's um it's it's up to them. I guess um we'll see. I can, I can, I can, imagine, I can see them including it. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I can also see that I can also see them saying, "Well, we're just keeping it the same." Um, yeah, so I think I, the re- the reason I the reason I brought it up and and I've discussed it with a couple of people is because of the the comment, which is I get it, it's a joke, but like if it's in the gym, it's in the bin, right? And I yeah. think this, oh, it's a joke. Like I know that Max Cave finds. Nico's stuff impressive and insane, and he, he, you know, he appreciates it. I'm not saying I'm not trying to make mm. out as though they don't appreciate it because I know they do. Um, mm. But yeah, I just I sense a bit of a growing distaste towards gym training and gym culture a little bit uh, in the parkour community, which I would like to just open a discussion about maybe and just say, look, like it's part of part of parkour now. You know, I think skateboarding is a good example to go by with with like skate parks and skate. You know, like street skaters and skate park skaters, and how there's almost a distinction, but then a lot of people cross over, and there's a perception that it's easier in certain situations, and it's all perfect and whatever. And we have the same opinions, don't we? But you know, just wanted to open a discussion about it a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. Right. I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, mm. Yeah. I hope uh, hope your podcasting goes well this year. I'd like to see lots more interesting conversations and Thank uh, you. yeah thanks for being my my first guest it seems fitting as i was your first guest yeah um, there's a lot more there's a whole list of guests that i want to have on uh for mm. my own kind of yeah interest and, and intrigue about what they would have to say on certain things but uh yeah really enjoyable little conversation so thanks for coming on what have you got planned for the rest of the day you're coaching this evening you say yeah, I'm so I'm going to be doing some planning now uh, for the rest yeah. of the week, and then 
I'll be teaching tonight. Uh, I've got a project I'm doing with Flynn that I was hoping to start filming for this evening. Okay. Um, but I think I'm rotated in actually for some other stuff that's going on at Agility, so I might not be able okay. to. But um, I've got a project which I'm going to aim to do in the next two weeks um, called Zero Prep. Nice. So I want to essentially film myself um, trying challenges with without any prep just because we've been talking a lot about intuition and I want to see, mm. you know, can I do this move, that, that move without any, uh, apart from my maybe a little warm up, yeah. um, no kind of run up practice, no taking off practice, no counting my steps, nothing. Just, uh, just see if I can do it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of something that I'm going to be working on. That really has been hopefully. a big shift in your approach then. Like really big shift. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd say uh, cool. it seems it seems it seems more effective. Yeah, mm. <laughs> less <laughs> less frustrating. Mm. Uh, yeah, overall and less damaging. Yeah. <laughs> less damaging. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I would say that I'm generally more injury free now than I was 10 years ago which is cool so yeah. um so yeah that's kind of what I'm probably doing today but yeah I re really enjoyed that that was really really good uh there's I was surprised that I didn't know exactly where we we're going to go so I was surprised mm. at kind of the the shifts and it was really nice to like access different areas of my brain it was really fun mm. so yeah thank thank you that was that was great man and yeah. uh just an another one of our great conversations that we have yeah. regularly so normally we'd have one chunk of that and then in there and then another yeah, day yeah, we'd have yeah, another yeah. chunk but we've kind of like gone through different phases that was kind of my intention really i feel like we've covered a lot of bases that we would typically talk about and that you know we're both interested in um mm. even though when we moved on to the kind of you know spiritual conversations i felt a bit unwarmed up for that and it took me 10 <laughs> minutes it took me 10 minutes to kind of yeah, loosen, yeah. loosen into that conversation yeah yeah me too me yeah. too yeah but once i got into it i i things gears started turning a little bit and uh yeah it's the way think, it is the way yeah, it, yeah. yeah but it makes you appreciate you know just podcast like people who do podcasts in general how they switch between conversations and, and how, mm. how like that's a, that's a thing in itself you know but yeah cool man um i'm looking forward to the project that you're producing uh with flynn shouts to flynn by the way i think he's doing some great stuff uh yeah Yes. I think it's uh, really good good to have him as a member of our community and um, what he's doing. So, mm. yeah. Big, yeah. big shouts to Flynn. Um, and yeah, man, anything else you want to say in terms of linking people to your stuff, your Instagram, your podcast, etc.? Uh, not massively, I guess. Uh, at the moment, I'm putting a bit more in, in um, putting a bit more effort into my powerful coach companion Instagram. So that's just PK Coach Companion on Instagram. Uh, putting up questions, celebrating different. I've followed like a ridiculous amount of coaching uh, organizations and individuals. And that's all I've got on my feed. So all I'm doing now is just reposting all that. So if you're interested in coaching, if you're interested in what's going on um, with parkour education, then you can follow that. And I'm trying to 
repost all the best stuff that I see um, as a kind of hub in a way. So yeah, go and check me out there. And um, mainly, again, just on Spotify, Parkour Coach Companion on YouTube as well. Um, you never know, buying the book, I might get a, get a re-emergence at some point. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd like that. We'd like that. It's really funny that, like, Callum, Callum oh, refers to you as buying the butler yeah. still. That's really funny. That's really funny. Oh, what a strange, strange little community. But yeah, no, um, that's that's kind of it. Yeah, and obviously, I'm in Callum. New York, so uh, I can show you some good rooftops if you come to York, guys and girls. There are some good rooftops in York, and if you are interested in rooftops, you should go to York. I can okay. I can uh, I can recommend alongside <laughs> Sam. Sweet. Cool man. Uh good talking to you. We'll catch up yeah. soon, very soon, I'd imagine. We so, will. Thanks for doing this. Take care. Many thanks. That's Many great. Thanks, thanks man. See you later, man.